This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Uh, coming up top of the hour, it's the uh, random player of the day. Also, Andrew Raycroft from Nesson and the Morning Brew Podcast. It is the Bruins facing off against the Edmonton Oilers later on this evening. And Thomas Hickey uh, gets us set for the uh, Islanders and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Thomas now the Islanders uh, studio analyst and doing amazing work there. He's really good. Uh, speaking of which, Anthony Stewart from the NHL on Sports set also Sports Director of Player Development for O2K Sports. Uh, Stewie, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on on this fine, brisk afternoon and morning for some as well. Uh, it, yeah, for for our, our listeners out west, it is the morning here in Ontario. It is a brisk afternoon. You are right. And uh, I want to get to some NHL issues. And I do want to uh, to ask you about hockey quality, but I want to talk to you about O2K Sports, as you are now the Director of Player Development. How long has this been in the work, and what are you doing? Because, first of all, you're the hardest-working guy in the industry. Anybody that knows you knows you have, like, about five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten different hats that you wear at any given time. What's this job all about? Well, um, I didn't have enough jobs, so I thought I'd add another, but I, I successfully figured out how to clone myself, so I'm able now to take on some more tasks. But uh, <laughs> it's just something that um, you know sort of came into fruition uh, this past summer with uh, with O2K as I was advising on some you know some of their younger clients that sort of been in the city and watching video and saying, hey, this is what I see from you know my new eye as an analyst. So now I can sort of cover all bases as an analyst and a former player and coach now. Uh, so I think the synergies were there, and they asked me would I be interested in maybe, you know, coming on board and, and being in a little bit more of an official capacity. And I said, you know, absolutely. So it's great now to to sort of doesn't really add any more time other than we have weekly meetings. But I'm at the rinks, you know, training and developing. So it's just continuing doing what I'm doing. So. Um, you know, you know, I'm on the ice in the summer with some of the pros and Matt Nichols. So I'm learning the skills coach about it. So yeah. I'm just trying to help these kids as they climb the ladder uh, going on to the next level. So um, I've had uh, two agents over the years. So I know the good things, the positives and the not so positives. So it's just a great uh, organization to be a part of. Eustace King has been a mentor to me since I was uh, 20 years old. So to be a part of the company is definitely great. And I'm excited for the challenges that uh, are going to be falling ahead. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Eustace because you've known him, as you, as you mentioned, for a long time. And listen, I mean, he's a heavyweight and, and speaks. There's a there's a gravity attached to, to Eustace King. Um, what has your experience been like with like working in and around Eustace? I mean, he, he helped you through your pro career now as you've transitioned to doing about a million different jobs. I know he's always you know been there been there in a mentor capacity for you. Um, give us the uh, give us the solid job, Eustace King. <laughs> well, I, I think he's the best in the business because he definitely cares about the clients. And, uh, you know, it, it started from our first conversation where, you know, I, I got cut from the Florida Panthers, I think, two, three years in a row. And he said, you know, you need an action plan. You can't just hope to go to the training camp and uh, make the team next year. You need an action plan. And he said, the first thing you need to do is pick up and move to Florida and stay the whole entire summer and train with the training staff. And I said, absolutely not. I'm not spending any more money here. I want to trade, get me out of town. But he said, no, this is the plan. You're going to go, you're going to train. You're going to show them every single day that you'll want to be here. You're going to be at the rink. You're going to be eating their food. Uh, You're going to be training with their trainers. You're going to be seen and heard. And until that, doesn't come to fruition and you get cut, trust me. So that trust was there from day one where I'm like, I was waiting to get cut, but I was working hard, extremely hard every single day. And that ended up making the Florida (laughs) Panthers and finishing, I think, top five in fitness testing. So uh, the trust was there from day one because you had that action plan. So, you know, I talk about when you're looking for agents, it's almost like uh, looking for insurance. You go and you score 30 goals. Uh, you know, this radio headset can, can do your deal for you. But what happens? What happens when you get injured? What happens when you're struggling? You need that agent to sort of go in there with that action plan. So Eustace King and O2K, they have that action plan. I'm definitely excited to be a part of that because they personally helped me uh, not just get to the NHL, but stay in the NHL as well. How are um, how, how are kids different now? Like you're working with them in uh, a number of capacities as a director of player development for O2K, um, as a coach as well um, through Hockey Equality, which we're going to get to in a couple of seconds here. What are the kids now like and how, how often do you look back and say, man, I, I, I wish I knew what these kids know now back then when I was growing up? 
Well, I think the kids mentally are a little bit more fragile. I don't think that's, uh, but that's society in, in general, right? And I did a presentation to one of the teams and you have to sort of, you know, you want to get your message across, but it's in, in the messaging. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, equating it to, I said, well, who's the best player in the Toronto Maple Leafs? And, you know, they're mentioning Matthews and Nylander. And I said, no, I think it's this year it's Mitch Marner. And you know why? And, you know, they answered the question. I said, because he makes his teammates better. He's a leader. And that's what it's all about. You want to make your teammates be better. You want to be a leader. You want to have high character. So uh, you got to explain it to the kids. They're very, very visual. Uh, you can't, you have to be a little bit more direct, but you got to be a little bit softer in the messaging, right? These kids, their attention spans aren't how they were. Uh, you know, so as opposed to writing long letters, you know, maybe I'll send them some videos. And uh, so, again, it's just a little bit different and as times have changed, uh, you know, a lot of it in the right direction. But I think it's just more so with the messaging uh, to some of these younger kids. Mm-hmm. Um, hockey equality. Um, I know just because I know you personally, um, all the great things that hockey equality has done and continues to do um, for young athletes. Um, give us the latest. Like, what's the time and temp? Uh, what's hockey equality up to? I know a lot of the kids that you've helped um, and continue to do so. Give us a give us a, a, a Stewie Fast Five here on on hockey equality. <laughs> Stewie Fast Five. Well, we're just uh, wrapping up on our winter season. <laughs> we had uh, four hundred hours of programming. Uh, at the hockey factory. So don't ask me how we did that deal, but, uh, you know, shout out to John York and Chris Beckford Sue for, uh, you know, getting that ice at a reduced ice cost. Uh, uh, But what we have right now for our top prospects are uh, a lot of them now have been invited to the OHL combine. So we're actually going to do a mock combine with Matt Nickel, where he's going to, uh, you know, put the kids through the paces and teach them how to do the testing, explain to them the importance of why you need to do this and do that. They'll be doing on ice testing Mm -hmm. as well. Uh, you know, Sam Constantino is going to be coming out talking to the kids with some mentorship stuff. Maybe Bob Babinski will lend some time nice. on how to do interviews and how to prepare for interviews. So uh, it's not just the on the ice stuff and working on the skills. It's the mentorship that we're trying to go above and beyond. And uh, we got March break camp coming up next week as well. And I'll also be coaching in the little NHL uh, next week as well, where it's the biggest indigenous uh, tournament, I think, in North America. 200 teams, yeah. uh, 3,000 kids will be in attendance. Marion Jacko, who's recently appointed to uh, Hockey Canada, will be in attendance. And uh, it's great. It's just great being out in the community, being on the rink, supporting uh, the future generations of hockey. So I'm grateful and blessed to be a part of that. And, you know, we're just trying to grow the game one hour at a time. Uh, some talk it, some do it. You do it. Um, Stewie to the NHL here. And listen, congratulations on the new appointment. Uh, Director of Player Development for O2K Sports. Uh, looks great on you. I don't know how many, like, dude, seriously, I don't know how many hours you have in your day. I've only got 24. Most everyone listening only has 24. Uh, I, I really don't know how you do it. Um, but keep it up, pal. It's, uh, it's really impressive. Let me ask you about the team that you cover with the most regularity. And you mentioned that you believe that Mitch Marner is the, uh, the best player on the Toronto Maple Leafs. I don't think you're going to get a disagreement from, from most quarters. Um, but how do you see the Maple Leafs here down the stretch now without Ryan O'Reilly um, for the next three weeks? Uh, how do you see this team down the stretch and into the playoffs with the dreaded first round matchup with the uh, the not too? I mean, they just won the Stanley Cup like five minutes ago. Uh, Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning from a couple of years ago. Well, I think the Lightning tipped their hand a little bit in benching their stars uh, the other night because they know it's not going to be an easy series. And you saw the the players that they've added at the deadline, they have a lot of forward depth. And that was their strength, uh, you know, before the trade. Now to really add some of these guys in Lafferty and O'Reilly and, um, you know, Holmberg coming back up as well too, to complement some of these guys. It's a great, yeah. great forward lineup. And, you know, it's sandpaper. And you look at the teams that win the Stanley Cup. Yes, the star players have star roles, but you're looking at the Coleman's and uh, the Barclay Goudreau's over the years, these complementary guys that score, uh, you know, big, big goals. And looking at the roster beforehand, I was like, well, who's going to be that guy in game seven in the, you know, overtime that's going to be out there, that's going to chip in that greasy goal. And now with this new look roster, there could be three, four guys, right? And I really love the addition of Shen. Mm-hmm. I really like uh, McCabe, who I think he is yet to be on for a goal against as well, too. So they have the, the skill, tremendous skill, one of the tops in the league, but to really add these complimentary guys that can come in and play their roles to a T. You know, at the end of the day, you know, I used to 
talk about Clark MacArthur making fun of me every time I got sent back down uh, from Florida down to the minors. <laughs> he would go, ooh, it's the ghost of Christmas past because I had zero goals, zero assists, zero hits, zero shots, zero. It wasn't like I didn't even exist. But these guys, regardless of their scoring, they're going to come up on the score sheet with some block shots, with some hits, maybe some penalty minutes. And that's the making of a team that's destined, I think, or you know, poised to make a, a big, big run as well. How much did you know about Sam Lafferty uh, before you joined? Like every time I'd watch the Hawks, it would be like, wow, that guy's intensely fast, like blazing speed, push back the defenseman uh, on the zone entries. Uh, I know it's only a couple of game audit here, but do you have a, a thought or two on Sam Lafferty as a member of the Maple Leafs? Well, I, I think he, he fits that description I did to a T about that guy that can score that big goal. And, and like I said, you talk about that speed and, you know, when you hide him now in the bottom six, you know, I think that matchup, you'll see him get a breakaway out of nowhere and score that big goal and, uh, you know, maybe on the penalty kill blocking a big shot. So I, I really like the flexibility. He can play in the middle. He can play wing. Uh, he's not just suited for one role. So flexibility and guys that can slide up and down and line up, you need guys like that. And uh, you see him, it's been a seamless fit. So kudos to management for identifying, mm-hmm. hey, this is a guy that's very, very versatile. He can come in, add some tertiary offense, but just play that role to a T, uh, you know, doing those, uh, you know, detail-oriented things that go to uh, winning a lot of games. So we've got tertiary. We've referenced the fast five. We're playing all the old Anthony Stewart hockey oh, yeah. hits here, man. Like this is this is good. This is good stuff here. Uh, a, a couple more, and I'll let you get on with uh, what I'm sure is yet another busy day in the life of Anthony Stewart. I'm going to remove the Boston Bruins from this equation because the Boston Bruins are on their own island as far as regular season excellence goes, and we'll watch them tonight uh, in action against the Edmonton Oilers. But who impresses you out there? Like you look around at the Eastern Conference, Western Conference, you know, take your pick. You know, who does Anthony Stewart look at and go, yeah, you know what? These guys really have something here. And it's one of those teams that, uh, you know, you you look at the roster and you're thinking, yeah, they had a pretty decent year. You know, they're not doing too good. And by the way, they're second in the Eastern Conference with the Carolina Hurricanes. And and I urge fans, and this was last year where I used to stay up until, you know, late hours of the night watching the Colorado Avalanche, just watching the pace and the speed that they play with. The Carolina Hurricanes are such an entertaining hockey. You talk about the future of hockey and how the game should be played, where every one of their players are just playing with pace and speed and purpose. And, you know, you're seeing Brent Burns come in there and then get a second lease on life as well, too. So they have some really, really great, great players. They have four lines that can step in and add offense, but they all play the right way. And, you know, now that I'm an analyst, I used to have coaches say, you need to play the right way. And I'd be like, well, I'm a right shot. I shoot right. Well, what does that mean? But now I have an an understanding of what the right way is. And, you know, I'm almost turned into a hockey fan, appreciating how the game should be played. And the Carolina Hurricanes fit that bill. So I know it's going to be tough because the Rangers loaded up. Toronto loaded up, Tampa Bay's Tampa Bay, but I think this could be the year where they really turn a lot of heads, not just in the regular season, uh, but the playoffs as well. Yeah. So uh, speaking of Brent Burns, true or false, at the World of Juniors, he referred to Patrice Bergeron as a Ken doll. Oh, he did. He did. And it's funny, when Burns came, (laughs) you know, he was the only guy, I think, signed to an NHL contract and, you know, you know, I had myself, enough, you know, uh, Getzlaff and Seabrook. And here comes Brent Burns from the NHL, Louis Vuitton suit, Louis Vuitton backpack. We're like, what the <laughs> hell is this? He was, I think he spent like 30 grand. I'm like, I can't wait to make some money. I want to be like Brent Burns. We're all sitting here, you know, with 20 bucks. For the bank <laughs> what, was he, what was he like? Is that, I mean, I never, I mean, I, I talked to him, I think, like twice uh, when he played in the OHL, but obviously you were a, a teammate at, uh, at juniors. What was what was he like as a teammate? Oh, I've known Brent uh, since I was probably about ten years old, and his nickname used to be Bucky because he had the big buck teeth. He used to chew on his uh, on his chin strap. But uh, <laughs> I think he's the only kid. And I hope Child Services is listening. He had a tattoo at thirteen years old, so he walked into our dressing room and Oof. minor bed with a tattoo. <laughs> but no, just a very eccentric guy. Comes from a great family. He loves his reptiles. He lives on a ranch. And he has a backpack with yeah, you know, man. knives and forks and food and, you know, elk, <laughs> elk bones. And so, again, he's a very great character, but genuine good guy from a great family. And, uh, you know, he's, he's one of the beauties. Uh, of- <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I just love it. I just love it. Um, again, congrats. I uh, was really happy to see that tweet uh, yesterday from, from O2K Sports uh, with the new position, Director of Player Development for uh, Eustace Kings Company. And listen, continued success in the NHL on Sportsnet, Hockey Equality. And I'm sure, like, listen, the week's not over yet. We'll get a couple more tweets with uh, a couple more jobs uh, for Anthony Stewart. Thanks as always, Stewie. You'll be good. All right. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. Appreciate it. There he is, Anthony Stewart from the NHL on Sportsnet and uh, O2K Sports, uh, the director of player development. And that's the thing about the, – the great thing about Anthony Stewart is some guys, after their career is done, look for sort of, you know, one thing to get into. And, and if it's in hockey, it's like, I'm going to be a coach and you're going to focus all the energy in that. Think about Anthony Stewart is like he's hitting on a whole bunch of – different levels we keep it the buzz term i guess is ecosystem right you want to be part of like a a, a a work ecosystem and what anthony's been able to carve out um is his own niche whether it's through hockey quality whether it's through coaching and he coaches a triple a program uh, a little bit north of toronto and markham the markham majors program uh, or working with o2k to say nothing of like the number of skates and training sessions that he does with kids. Um, I think that this guy, as far as information and perspective goes, when it comes to young athletes, young hockey players, um, and the hockey systems that they grow up in and work in, he is uh, an invaluable and underutilized resource. Because if you talk about someone who understands it at a lot of levels, and even himself personally, growing up through it and through the NHL and coming back to give back, Anthony Stewart's the guy I got. And everyone from our shop says the exact same thing. All day for Stewie. All day for Stewie. Andrew Raycroft coming up in hour two. Thomas Hickey as well. But up next, the random player of the day. I have a feeling that Matt Marchese might be the star of this segment. More of the Merrick Show in moments. Sportsnet Radio Network, Sportsnet 360, Sportsnet Now. Back in a moment. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, welcome back to the program, uh, Hour 2. And this is um, who is coming along in a couple of moments. Andrew Raycroft from Nesson and the Morning Brew podcast with Billy Jaffe. Um, so we'll talk to Raycroft about tonight's big matchup. And there's a lot of sidebars to this one. There's the McDavid versus Pasternak sidebar. There is the you know greatest regular season team maybe ever in the Boston Bruins. Apologies, 1970s Montreal Canadiens fans. But they're going for it. And here's the other question we wonder about. Very much looking forward to seeing this game. Is this your Stanley Cup preview? Edmonton Oilers and the Boston Bruins. Thomas Hickey coming up in the second hour as well. Uh, the Islanders and the Pittsburgh Penguins on the horizon. We'll talk about that with uh, one of the brightest stars um, in the hockey analyst world, Islanders analyst Thomas Hickey. In the meantime, time for the random player of the day. And uh, today should be an interesting one as we bring aboard our one and only Matt Marchese from King City. Who are we talking about today, Matt Marchese from King City? Uh, this one submitted by Robert Galaney and Jim Lithgow and somebody I've known for a very, 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 very long time. Uh, this would be Rick Hampton. All right, Rick Hampton. So you're going to be the star of this one, I have a feeling. I'm huh. going to empty the tank about what I know about Rick Hampton. I'm going to turn it over to you because you actually know Rick Hampton. So uh, he's from King City, although I think he was born in Toronto and moved to King yep. City. Um, and live there. So we think of King City, we think of players in the NHL now like Alex Petrangelo and Mario Ferraro. Uh, left shot defenseman, uh, was a left winger growing up as well. Played with the Aurora Tigers, Maddie, with one of my neighbors, Bill Hassard. So his father, Bob, lives uh, not too far from where we live. And now Bob passed away a couple of years ago. Bob played on that 1951 Toronto Maple Leafs team, the Bill Barilco team. Uh, Bob Hassard was on that team. His son, Bill, played Aurora Tigers with uh, with Rick Hampton. Mike Kitchen, by the way, also on that team. Played in the OHA with the St. Catharines Blackhawks. 
alongside people like Dennis Oucher and Wolf Paymont, the legendary 99 Wolf Paymont. Also, Jeff Jakes, who uh, the last time I caught up with him was he owned a bed and breakfast in Niagara on the lake called Davy House. Not sure if he still does, but I remember going there once and having a conversation with him, and he pulled out of his closet almost pristine Toronto Toros home and away jerseys. You can imagine my happiness and surprise, Matt Marchese. <laughs> he was drafted third overall in the 1974 draft. That's when uh, a pair of um, St. Catharines Blackhawks went two and three. Uh, Wolf Paymont, then Rick Hampton. Greg Jolie, by the way, went first overall to the Washington Capitals. Speaking of those Capitals, Matty, Hampton was on that SEALs team that surrendered the only road win. 1974-75 inaugural season, the Washington Capitals was 5-3 at Oakland Almeida County Coliseum. And afterwards, Tommy Williams got all the members of the Washington Capitals to sign a garbage can in the dressing room. And then they took it on the ice to parade around as if... It was the Stanley Cup. Now, at that time, the Seals played in the Adams division. Think about this for a division, Maddie: Buffalo Sabres, Boston Bruins, Toronto Maple Leafs, and the California Seals. <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. Here's another thing about Rick, Tam- Rick Hampton. He was sneaky tough. He had, you know, decisive, maybe not decisive, but real good wins against real tough hockey players, uh, namely Bobby Schmatz in 1976 uh, and Dave Forbes as well. He was part of that team that moved to Cleveland, and I would imagine one of the highlights of his career would have been playing in the 77 and 78 World Hockey Championships uh, as Canada uh, started to send NHLers at the end of the season. Uh, Sister's a figure skater. Mom and dad both skated as well. That's me emptying the tank on Rick Hampton. But what can you tell us about him? After all, you know him. So, uh, firstly, Rick has some of the biggest hands that I've ever seen. So I can see why he would have been a real tough customer. His Mm. first NHL fight was was against Tiger Williams when he was a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs. No way. Um, Yeah. So uh, the other thing with the Hamptons is they're like royal hockey royalty in King City. So Rick played in the NHL. Uh, his brother Paul, who I've mentioned yep. on the show before, was my was my junior coach. He also was he trained me growing up from the time I was about I don't know twelve thirteen years old. Uh, and brother Greg also. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. He always told me, Maddie, you'd be a better <laughs> coach than you are a player, and he was right. Um, so uh, brother Greg also played uh, junior hockey for the Richmond Hill Rams and. Uh, a couple of things about Rick as well was the had the third most points by a teenage defenseman. He actually held the record. He had more points as a teenage defenseman than hmm. Bobby Orr. So he currently is fourth on the list. Rasmus Dahlin was the most recent to pass him. Um, and this is Rick's, especially in King City and surrounding areas. His legacy is certainly yeah. uh, a couple of things. One quick blade. Um, one of the first replaceable blade systems that I know of. And he came up with the idea playing in Switzerland because he couldn't find anyone to sharpen his skates. And he said, well, there's got to be a better way to do this. And now we've seen a bunch of companies like you look at even um, Tuck and, you know, the, you know, whether it be Bauer that's taking them on or whatever, a lot of their blades Mm -hmm. are easily replaced and rick's company quick blade yeah, was one of out. the first that w- that ever did that yeah i can't tell you how many times i cut my fingers on those blades trying to get them in because they were so insanely sharp <laughs> Jeff. um yep. and the other thing and the other thing that rick will definitely be known for is running the king city men's league which is arguably one of the best men's leagues and i'm biased in the province of ontario he doesn't run it anymore um but it was legendary yeah. i mean some incredible players that went through there um and as a sidebar as well uh rick's brother paul also coached jeff o'neill growing up in that those king city teams won all ontario champions. oh he's king so, city guy too yeah. yeah yeah uh and rick and rick uh also uh can't stress this enough uh alum of king city secondary school which i am also an alum of so that's what i got on rick hampton wow that's a uh, very thorough on Rick Hampton, um, that is today's play, uh, random player of the day for your uh, chance to nominate your own 
Um, JM show at sportsnet.ca. Rick Hampton, that was a lot there. Thanks to Robert and Jim uh, for submitting that name. Uh, all right, uh, back to business here. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, Thomas Hickey, Islanders analyst. In the meantime, joining us from Nesson, he is Andrew Raycroft, uh, also uh, part of the Morning Brew podcast with our good friend Billy Jaffe. Andrew Raycroft, how are you today, sir? I am wonderful. Jeff, how are you making out? Uh, I'm good. So are we going to see, is, is this tonight going to be the Stanley Cup preview? Uh, Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers versus Linus Allmark. we got to give the love to the goaltenders here. Linus Allmark and the Boston Bruins. Is this a Stanley Cup preview for you? Well, I'm sure everyone in Edmonton would, would enjoy that. Um, I know the Boston Bruins side of things expect to be in the Stanley Cup Finals. Listen, I think anytime you have the, the best player on the planet – uh, playing the way that McDavid is, I like the echo move. And, and yeah, the West is so wide open yeah. that, that sure Edmonton can find a way in. And it is amazing that you can use any number of, of 10 players to headline this Boston Bruins team this season. You know, th- this Bruce, like, like well, I want to get your thoughts on McDavid here in a couple of seconds, but we we got to park it to start about the, the, the Boston Bruins. Um, all of us, and I include myself as well, could not have been more wrong about how this season was supposed to play out for the Boston Bruins. I kept saying, you know what, Boston's going to be okay. They just need to survive the injuries early and just keep their head above water until the reinforcements arrive. I could not have been more way off. They hit the ground running, and by that I mean hit the ground winning uh, from pretty much the get-go. Linus Almark distinguishing himself as a Vesna Trophy favorite. Um, David Pasternak doing David Pasternak things, and we'll get to the Rocket Richard race conversation here in a couple of moments. McAvoy just continues to be that guy that should always be considered uh, in the Norris Trophy conversation. Hampus Lindholm, sneaky, one of the best defensemen in the entire NHL, and don't look now, but Dimitri Orloff's nickname is becoming, you know, uh, Dimitri Bobby Orloff. Like, he's looking (laughs) fantastic as well. How has this team been able to do it all season long? Well, you start you start at the bottom or the base with this culture that has been in place for this Boston Bruins team for quite a few years now. Uh, you could probably take it all the way back to 2011. And, and the way they've built this group, the way they have naturally selected their dressing room over the dozen years with Patrice Bergeron and before Zidane Chara. It starts there. And, yes, everyone was talking about mm-hmm. the injuries early on. I think we completely underrated Hampus Lindholm and his ability to be a number one defender in this league and the minutes he ate at the start of the season for this group. And and then, of course, Linus Allmark, uh, again, underrated. Uh, he finished last season really strong. The playoff was the playoff. And then to bring it over into this season and a little more comfort. So, I think we all had it right after the injuries that this was going to be a very good team, but didn't see them starting the way they did and, and then running from there. You know, uh, I'm glad you mentioned Allmark there because that was the one I remember that Seattle expansion draft like we all did. And I think, you know, Allmark was on the expiring contract. The Buffalo Sabres thought, oh, don't worry, we're going to re sign him. You know we're gonna, uh, you know we're 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 not gonna make him available, and then all of a sudden, boom, he's off to the Boston Bruins, and the Buffalo Sabers had to scramble a little bit. I think there were conversations about bringing in Miko Koskinen, if my my memory serves, right around that hmm. time. Um, what is it about his game, like that we didn't see in Buffalo that we do now see in Boston, or is it just he's just playing behind a much much better defense, uh, a system that complements his style of play. I mean, you're a goalie, he's a goalie, I'm not. Uh, what, what's the difference between Buffalo, Allmark, and Boston, Allmark? Well, first, you always have to talk about circumstance when we're talking about goaltenders, and, and that, that obviously playing behind a Boston Bruins team rather than a Sabres team is going to help any goaltender. That doesn't mean the NHL is easy, but of course, circumstance matters for every single goaltender that plays at any single level. Um, but you go dig in a little deeper, and what Linus has been able to do is, one, he's been able to stay healthy, and, and that is a lot from 
Bob Asenza and dealing with Tuka Rask for a long time with hip and ankle injuries and, and how to play a little healthier. And, and that in, has a lot of a little bit of momentum in his game, a little bit drift. Linus Allmark doesn't get stuck at the top of his crease anymore. He's a huge body that is now mm. allowing that to play that way. So you'll see he'll have a little bit of drift, allows him to move around a little bit, reaching. There's no stretching, and, and that keeps him a little healthier, which we've seen this season. But also just his ability to make that first save. The first shot goaltending that he's at right now is it certainly helps with this style because he's as good as it gets when, when there's only one shot being taken. No one can beat him, and we've seen that with his size and with his athletic ability this season. Uh, Jeremy Swayman, I will always love, after having a conversation with him about doing ballet at, uh, <laughs> at, uh, at, at college and how that helped him as a, as a goaltender. Um, give us the, uh, the goalie rundown on Jeremy Swayman. Well, Jeremy's, Jeremy's had a really good season. And, of course, you're going to get overlooked when it's historical like Linus Allmark. But he's shown to be such a great pro at a young age. And he did that right as soon as he came into the lockout season and played a few games and random buildings in the AHL, but worked his way through. And and we saw it more so this season, the start of the year. There's that 1A, 1B, I'm going to be a starter. I have a chance. Linus goes on a tear. Jeremy has a couple tough games early on in the season, but then gets injured. He's persevered through all of it. He's been happy. He's been smiling. He's been professional. He's worked on his game. He's gotten better. And now he's at a point where, He's just as important for this team and for how they manage games and how they continue to win games. And his future is so bright because of the attitude he has and because of the talent he has on top of it. And, and again, it's been a real good growth year for Jeremy Swayman and to see how he will be ready to, to really take over a starting net at, at some point in his career. Mm-hmm. You know, the um, the Boston Bruins have kind of always had this. And, and, you know, one of the touchstones was always, you know, Ray Bork. Ray Bork was the ceiling, and no one was going to make more than Ray Bork. I think a lot of players probably resented it in the Boston Bruins organization when Bork was playing. Um, but, you know, him and Sin didn't have that worked out. Like, no one was getting paid more than Ray Bork, and he came in at a very team-friendly number. And there's always been that vibe around the Boston Bruins. Until Charlie McAvoy, and then most specifically until David Pasternak. Now his new deal doesn't kick in till next season. I still think that even at that number, he's underpaid considering what he delivers to the Boston Bruins. But what is it about Pasternak that shot? It's not just the shot, but like getting himself into position to get that shot off. Like as a goaltender, you're watching Pasternak. What are you looking for? Yeah, it, there's only three or four guys that beat goalies, and I talked about Linus Allmark, that beat goalies with a shot straight on in the NHL. Without a screen, down the wing, can pound it past the goaltender. And that's based Matthews, McDavid this season, Pasternak, and Ovechkin. Uh, beyond that, you, you, you have guys that know how to score goals, but it's not the same. And with David, his ability to hit the... the his area, his his radius where he can hit pucks from and, and at a high level of speed coming through the seam is, is what really sets him apart from what I see. He can he can hit pucks in his feet. He hits it up high, down low. He finds a way to get in behind it and put enough mustard on it to, to beat goaltenders very consistently. Beyond that, this year he's become more physical. I think he's taken on more of an on-ice leadership role in that Today, the game's not coming to us. I'm going to go out and get a lay a body. I'm going to go out and I'm going to shoot 10 pucks this period. I'm putting everything on that. I'm putting my head down. I'm not going to be perimeter. I'm going to get to the middle. I think he's taken that step this season, and, and that's what set this year apart from others, not just the goal scoring, but I think his, his involvement on a nightly basis has been as good as it's ever been in his career, and that's what's making him so important for this group. You know, one of the things that I'm fascinated by with David Pasternak is that, well, first of all, I'm fascinated by his equipment. I'm fascinated what he does with his sticks. I'm fascinated, like, his, his style, like, all of it. It's pretty unique. And, I, honestly, I'm going to th- throw a total 
dart here. And I don't know if it's going to land or not, um, but you're there. You know these players a lot more than I do. There's a picture that popped up on Gear Geek. Now, at Gear Geek Hockey is one of my favorites to follow because I'm that guy and I love following, you know, what the players are using, what kind of – they make a glove change, they make a stick change, whatever. Um, there's a picture that popped up. This is back a couple of weeks when the Bruins were in Vancouver to face off against the, against the Canucks. And this was on uh, what day? February 24th. And at the Bruins skate, David Pasternak is wearing these really old, like it looks like, like 80s or 90s CCM Supra gloves. Like they look, and they are from, you know, a, a, a generation ago. I thought, and I was wrong, so I checked with some of the Bruins, and they said, no, it's not his father's. I thought they might have been his father's gloves, his late father's gloves. Or that, that would be a really nice touch if he was wearing his, his dad's hockey gloves, but someone with the, the Boston Bruins communication staff told me, yeah, yeah, that's not it. Do you have any idea where Dave, and how many times he's busted, busted him out, I don't know. Do you have any idea where David Pasternak got these old, old gloves to wear at an NHL practice? And does it surprise you that he would wear really old gloves from a generation ago at a Boston Bruins practice? The, the second question's much easier. No, it doesn't surprise me. Uh, David has <laughs> a, a serious style, and uh, it's as, as, the, as the best do, whether it's fashion style, hockey style, goalie gear style, it's the ones that don't put a lot of thought, a lot of care into it. Just feel it, go with it, and don't think twice. Yeah. And, and sometimes it sticks, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, with David, that's what he is. Uh, he does that on and off the ice. He, he's very carefree and, and confident in himself. So, no, it doesn't surprise me as a super, the Supra's kicking around. I don't know the backstory, but I will absolutely dig in a little bit more, and next time we talk, I will have an answer <laughs> for that one way or the other because I'm intrigued now, too. <laughs> I don't mean to bring you on to give you homework. Like, I really don't mean no, to bring I, you on. I, I'm happy like, okay, so I'm here's happy your assignment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you it go. Just looks, Done. It's, I'll, 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 I'll text you a picture of it. It just, honestly, to be honest, it looks so cool. These old, like, CCM Supers where everyone's got, like, the fanciest new gear and everything, and there's, you know, maybe the best pure goal scorer, with all due respect, Connor McDavid, in the game right now, rocking these old CCM Supras. It's hilarious. I'll, I'll send you the picture. Um, let me ask you about Connor McDavid. And, you know, the, the Richard race is going to come down to these two. Um, you know, I, I don't know if Miko Rantanen decides to, to, to make a race of this as well. Um, love them both for different reasons. Uh, they're different types of goal scorers, but it is another of the sidebar issues in tonight's games or the story within the story. Connor McDavid versus David Pasternak. So we've talked about the Bruins forward. Who draws the Connor McDavid assignment tonight for the Bees? Uh, I would imagine it's the Bergeron line and then probably a McAvoy or love. It, it seems like they're paired up this morning, um, but you're going to see a lot of Bergeron if you're Connor McDavid, just because that's the best on the other side of it. And it's going to start with face off and it's going to start with a lot of puck possession. That's, that's really the only way you're going to slow McDavid down. You're not, you're not going to stop him. You're not going to. And, and I think we saw a pretty good example of the way the Bruins want to play the Oilers a couple weeks ago and they McDavid gets two goals, two beautiful goals, but they lose three to two because the, the Bruins didn't let anyone else yeah. get going or didn't allow McDavid to get anybody else going. So you'll see Bergeron against those guys tonight and, and you hope to keep them two points or less. I think that's, that's the strategy and that's how good this guy is. I was on Bruins radio, you know, Bruins radio this morning talking and you know, how good is this guy? And I can't remember I, the, the generation I played in, there was nobody different. The gap wasn't as big as McDavid and everyone else, anyone else, whether it was Crosby, whether it was Ovechkin at their best, at their prime, the guys I played against, there was no gap as big as it is right now between the best and everyone else. What is it, like, as, as someone that played in the NHL, because I'm always curious, and specifically as a goaltender, what is it about McDavid that impresses you the most? Because we all look at him and we say, wow, it must be nice where, you know, the feet are as fast as the hands and the whole body seems to work at this like super high speed. And, you know, none of it looks awkward for McDavid. He makes, you know, defensemen, you know, turn their backs. Like 
I always go out of my way to make this point. I remember the first game that McDavid played in the NHL was a Thursday night in St. Louis against the Blues, and it was one of his first shifts. And I, I couldn't believe my eyes because for the first time in my career, or first time in my life, I saw Jay Bomeister turn and skate forwards back into his own zone. Like Jay Bomeister, one of the best skaters the NHL has ever seen on the blue line. Jay Bomeister has, has turned and tucked tail, and he's just racing back into his own zone. That's how fast Connor McDavid was. But that's what we see, but we never played in the NHL. What does Andrew Raycroft see when you look at Connor McDavid? Well, you see the, you see the pace like you just talked about. But to, to be able to have enough hockey sense and to be able to see plays far enough ahead at that speed is impossible to explain. And so, so for me, to be able to play at that pace, we all know the players over the years that were a million miles an hour but, but would never be close to keeping up with the game because they wouldn't know where to go or how to get there. McDavid knows where to go three spots ahead of everybody else, and he's three times faster than everyone else. So... The, the pace that he's playing with, and then his compete, like all the best players, like the yeah. Ovechkins and the Crosbys and the Gretzkys and Lemieux. His compete, at, and, and knowing that he is that much better than everybody else skill-wise and skating-wise, and he's been that way his entire life, but to still want it more than everyone else, to still compete more than everyone else. I was I was in Toronto this summer for a couple weeks and, and kind of kicking around, and I heard from a few people that, that know Connor or around Connor that how mad he was that Matthews won the Hart Trophy last season. And he thought he deserved it, but Matthews got 62 <laughs> goals. So now he's going to go get 63 goals yeah. so he can show the league that he can do all of that as well and that he should have been the MVP every season because he's the best player. And, and you see that. You see, okay, I'm going to shoot the puck now. All right, I'll score 60 goals. I can do that, and, and I'm going to prove everybody that. Yeah. So to, to have that gene at being as talented as he is, is, is something that we hear a lot of people talk about, but, but people that have been in NHL dressing rooms know how special that actually is. Scary for the playoffs, right? Like I was talking to someone, oh. uh, someone this morning who said like, Connor's got that. I'm going to take the team on my back kind of look. I, I know that listen, when the Colorado avalanche get healthy and we're all wondering about Gabriel Landeskog here um, with that healthy avalanche team, like that's a, that's a force. Like that's going to be a real tough out, but much like we've said with teams that are led by Sidney Crosby, for example, I look at McDavid and I think, you know, the, he can pretty much do anything. And there are a handful of people that can will their team to victory and will them all their way to the Stanley Cup. McDavid's one of those guys, man. Like, and he has that look and that determination. I saw it. I watched him play minor hockey in the GTHL. I watched him play with the Erie Otters in the OHL, and we're seeing it now at the National Hockey League level with the Edmonton Oilers. Last one for you. Matthias Ekholm, a goaltender's dream, true or false, the shot suppression machine. A couple of things. One, puck goes in, puck goes out. He makes the easy exit, nice and easy, release valve. Um, But for whatever reason, when the puck's in the offensive zone, it doesn't get directed at the net when Matthias Ekholm is on the ice. Just ask UC Soros, just ask Pecorine, and ask Skinner and Campbell the same thing now in Edmonton. Your thoughts on the Matias Ekholm pickup? I think they target it perfect. And you don't need, you're not going to need a ton of scoring from the back end on that team. And just one more, Connor McDavid, just quickly, is his, his fitness level to yeah. play 25 minutes a night. I know it's real easy for him to play hockey. Like it's, it's, Hockey is the easiest thing in the world for him. But still, to play at that level for 25 minutes a night and do that in the playoffs, which allows him to be so important and to be able to put a team on his back come playoff time. Ekholm's going to put 25 minutes on the board every night in the playoffs as well. And it just, that's yep. what they need. And they, they need the, the puck out of their zone much quicker. They need pucks to be shot from six, seven feet a little bit per their goaltenders they need that rebound cleared and it, listen it's not it it doesn't guarantee anything but you at least and as a team you have to feel excited that management recognized the need and went out and just did it didn't matter what the cost was forget the draft picks forget everything else 
we have Connor McDavid, we have Leon Draisaitl, we have an opportunity in the West to find our path. Let's get the best player that fits our need better than any other. And, and I think they did that with Ekholm. I think that defensive stalwart type guy that's a little bit older. They didn't need a young prospect guy to build into that. A guy who's done it before in the playoffs. A guy who's done it for a good team before. And I think that's why Ekholm fits really well out there. Man, I can't wait for tonight. Uh, it's the Boston Bruins and the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, Andrew, thanks so much as always for stopping by. By the way, I texted you that Pasternak picture, so uh, the homework assignment uh, is now on. You get get on that scoops. Um, great job. Listen, thanks as always for stopping by. Really appreciate it. Continued success with Nesson and the and the Morning Brew podcast alongside Billy Jaffe. Thanks, Bell. Appreciate it. Take care. Have a day. There he is, Andrew Rickroft from Nesson and the Morning Brew Podcast tonight. It is like this is the marquee matchup tonight, folks. Like this is the one where it's like, all right, uh, send the kids to the neighbors. <laughs> want to quiet? Want to watch this one? Seven thirty Eastern on Sportsnet. It's the Boston Bruins facing off against the Edmonton Oilers. This one looks like a doozy. Also tonight, um, battling for wild card positions, battling for their playoff lives, and just battling in general because these two teams don't get along. It's the Pittsburgh Penguins and the New York Islanders. It's one of the one, two, three, four, five. We have five, six. Seven o'clock starts tonight. It is the Islanders and the Penguins. Islanders analyst, former NHL defenseman Thomas Hickey, joins me in moments here to preview this one. Merrick Show continues. It's a busy night around the NHL. Uh, Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Islanders, Penguins, talking with Hickey next. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. It is a big night around the NHL. Talked about the uh, the big Bruins-Edmonton Oilers matchup and uh, what that means with all the sidebar Rocket Richard questions about McDavid and Pasternak and also the, uh, the best regular season team ever in the Boston Bruins trending very much in that direction, certainly by modern standards, uh, shall we say, with all due respect to everyone from the 1970s that cheered on that 1977 Montreal Canadiens team. In the meantime... One of the other big matchups this evening pits the New York Islanders against the Pittsburgh Penguins, um, battling for playoff lives, battling for playoff positions, wild card style. Thomas Hickey joins me now, former NHL defenseman, Islanders analyst. Thomas, how are you today? I'm good, thanks, Jeff. How are you guys doing? Uh, I'm good. Uh, so here, here's my... Before we sort of drill down on some of the, the specifics about the Islanders and the Pittsburgh Penguins, here's my take on the Islanders. I think the New York Islanders are built for a long playoff run. The problem is sometimes teams that are built for the playoffs and success in the playoffs aren't necessarily the best regular season team. I think if they can get there, they'll do well. The problem is getting there. Agree or disagree? 100% agree. Uh, this this the group. They went to two conference finals back-to-back and, and really gave Tampa probably their toughest matchups, at least in, in one of those years. And it, it's a group that if they can get to the playoffs, I think there's a ton of belief. And like you said, there's a big difference between regular season hockey and playoff hockey. And I think this team is built for playoff hockey because there's a belief in there. After all they've done, they felt they got so close. It's the team that that returned all the guys. You saw Lou Lamorello didn't make many changes because he believes in the group, but getting into the postseason is going to be is going to be so much more difficult than you would have thought for a team that that had that much success. Because I, I think they can slug it out, grind it out, and beat you with will and determination come playoff time. They've shown that in the past, but yeah, it's it's a different ball game when you're going through 82 games and you need enough points to make the playoffs. And and probably a team as the years gone on just a touch slower. Um, you know, obviously. Skill, skill is important, and it goes away as time goes on. And, and these guys have dug deep and put themselves in a really good position. But I'd agree with that assessment that they're built more for the playoffs than the regular season, but sitting in a in a pretty decent spot right now. 
You know, the um, it's it, it is interesting. Mark Mark Bergevin used to have uh, the saying: there are there are two types of players. Uh, there are players that get you there, and players that get you through. And I look a lot of what what Lou Lamarillo has constructed here and provided, again, they can get to the playoffs. I think they have the guys uh, that can get them through. Um, I got to ask you about Ilya Sorokin. Um, and, you know, anytime I – it's funny. I was talking to uh, – Elliot and I were talking to Jake Allen. Uh, we did a, a feature interview with him a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about netminders and Russian netminders specifically and how they, they move so uniquely. It's almost as if – you know how, like, some um, – uh, some like uh, runway or magazine models will have like a rib removed to make themselves look more <laughs> lean. It's almost as if like some Russian goaltenders have had like their hips removed because like how do you how do you move like that within within a crease and and around the goalpost? So whether it's you know Shosturkin or Vasilevsky or or uh, the Islanders guy here Ilya Sorokin, it's like they've had their hips like flat out removed because who maneuvers like that? Uh, around goalposts and in a crease. But if you're going to award an MVP uh, for the Islanders this season, I mean, that's kind of the no-brainer here, right? Yeah, the conversation would start and end with Elias Roque. And certainly other guys have been very important, but without them, this is not a team that's sitting in a playoff spot today and and probably a team that's not even close. But he's been been so good. And and like you said, Jeff, it's it's crazy. It It looks like... They, they don't have joints in their hips, the way they're able to move around, especially Sorokin, <laughs> but also a guy that with, with not having any joints in his hips has got that muscle to be so quick. And, and from my analysis, yeah. everything I've seen, I don't know a goaltender that takes away the bottom of the ice better. He's so quick laterally and side to side, but also strong. And he, he reads the play, he anticipates well, and I think his game's built on structure. But once he's out of it, similar to how Marc-Andre Fleury is, still is and was, you know, he can improvise and he can make those big saves when he's focusing on his structure. And then all of a sudden there's a breakdown the way he can go post to post and yeah. take away the lower half of the ice. And it, it's easy to say, you just gotta, you gotta get him spread out and go upstairs. But you know, oftentimes when he's putting himself in those positions, a player's really in deep and, and that's, that's his area below, you know, sort of below the, uh, the shin pads that it's almost impossible to get it up because he, he understands his distance, his spacing, and just so quick laterally. He's been he's been the backbone of this team, and they're, they're riding him good. They've also got mm-hmm. great complementary goaltending out of Semyon Barlama, but Sorokin, without question, the big games, he stepped up, and outside of a lull of maybe four games, he's been, he's been absolutely sensational. 925 save percentage. He's been he's been fantastic. He's been elite. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Varlamov there because it's a really interesting relationship these two have. They're very close. Um, you know, I think Varlamov provided and probably still does a um, safety blanket in some ways, both athletically and culturally. Um, for Ilya Sorokin, what do you think the future here is? Like, I don't I don't know that Samsonov goes and. Or uh, that sorry that Varlamov goes and and chases every last nickel under every cushion out there. Um, having said that, he's thirty four years old, and you know for one of your final you know cash outs, you want to make as much as you can. But it seems like it's a real good fit here. It's a good battery. Um, these two. Do you think that the, the the song remains the same in the crease after the uh, the regular season and the playoffs are all done? Yeah, I think there's a really good chance. And, you know, no one can speak for the future of that outside of uh, Varlamov himself. But this is a guy that Lou Lamorello at every turn, you look you look at last season, the Islanders were out of it. He's a goalie that is a proven number one around the league. His minutes have gone down, but his level of play has stayed high. And there was a lot of talk. Can you move him? Can you get a first-round pick last year? Lou Lamorello stresses the importance of having two guys. He kept him around once again. This year rolls around. You do the same thing. You keep him. I, I think Lou Lamorello really respects and appreciates his professionalism and the hockey that he's played, but that would lead me to believe that there could be some sort of agreement between the two sides to keep him around, probably mm-hmm. um, on a pay cut. And this is a guy that you know made starter money for a long time, and it's a guy that everyone's expressed their desire the pending UFAs to stay here. And I think if the price is right, it would be a no-brainer to bring him back as, as uh, there's a couple of younger goalies developing in the system, but no one 
quite ready. I don't think that you can really replace the intangibles of, of having a great friend of Sorokin, uh, a competitive guy, but a pro that they can really just take a back seat and, and get his starts in, perform really well, even if it's, you know, 10 days, two weeks in between. So I would not be surprised at all to see him back at a, at a lower rate next year. You know, there's uh this is an Islanders team that's been, you know, dinged up um, of recent note, whether it's, you know, Matthew Barzal is certainly the headline maker, um, but, you know, Cal Clutterbuck, Jean-Gabriel Pajot, et cetera. Is there a, an injury slash return update for any of these Islanders players? Yeah, there's no news on Barzell. Um, he's week to week. Pajot, Clutterbuck, I think Pajot's closer. They both skated today. Um, they're both considered day-to-day, but Pajot has been skating with the team more recently, and he'd, he'd be a huge boost because, um, you know, this team's gone through it with injuries. They lost Pellick earlier, but they've been playing great without those guys. But to get another face-off guy like Pajot in, to really compliment since Bo Horvat got here, without him, this team would be really thin when you think of losing Matt Barzell at center, Pajot. Clutterbuck would be, would be a really... Yeah nice addition to have back in this group for tenacity but i think pajot is close and when you're coming down to this this stretch here of i think 17 games left and the importance of that to have a penalty killer and all situation player i think he's really close and that'll be a huge boost um let, let me ask you but i want to transition to forwards here i do want to ask you about Sidney crosby and the penguins but i want to ask you about one very specific play this week from the islanders was against the buffalo sabers the hudson fashion goal I looked at it and said he's trying to brace for you know the puck to to drop or trying to stop it. It doesn't look anywhere close to a kick. I know that there were some fans that thought it might have been. To me, this was maybe the easiest review of the week, maybe one of the easiest reviews we've seen in a long time. Uh, do you have a thought or a perspective on the Hudson fashion goal, um, Hudson fashion goal from the last game? Yeah, you know, my biggest takeaway, and I think Islanders fans would tell you, they feel like any time there's been a situation like this, the call goes against them without fail. And and to get one go your way, it, it feels so good. And what, a, what an important goal it was in such a big game. But you know what? I, I think the more sometimes you slow down replays, the more you can talk yourself into thinking it looked like a kick to me. I, I don't think it was cut and dry a good goal. I, I think there was a lot left open to interpretation. But I think the biggest thing on that play, if you watch the pucks coming to him and Fashion takes one hand off of the stick, almost like he's about to catch it. And I think right there, mm-hmm. that indicates to the league that he wasn't trying to kick it in. He was trying to catch it, and then and then his body just adjusted. It goes off his knee and in. If, if you're sitting there saying, I don't think that should have been a goal, I'm not going to disagree with you either. But uh, I, I think that was the key. When I looked at that play, you see Fashion take his hand off his stick, almost like he's going to catch it. He misreads it, and it goes off his shin pad. But I think maybe if he keeps his hand on his stick there, I don't think it's a goal. But I think that reaction in the moment sort of told the league, told the, the war room in Toronto that this guy wasn't intentionally doing it. And what a big goal that was mm-hmm. because Buffalo has been hot on the Islanders' tail for quite some time. The, they really have. Um, let me ask you about Crosby. I mean, you played against Sidney Crosby. Um, you know all about Sidney Crosby. Um, I, like Connor McDavid's going to win the Hart Trophy this year. Like that's that thing's wrapped up. But um, in any other normal year, you could probably make a strong case for Sidney Crosby this year, as you could make a case for you know David Pasternak or make a strong case for Tage Thompson, for example. Um, when you look at Sidney Crosby. As someone who's, you know, uh, you know, you're now working as an analyst and observing his game to someone who played against him as a defenseman as well. Like, what goes through your mind? Like, what do you think of when you watch Crosby now? It, just extremely efficient. And I think when he came into the league, obviously it's will and determination gets you through every shift. And I think you've seen with a lot of guys, as they get older, they get smarter and understand that if I'm going to be effective, I'm going to, pick and choose my spots of perhaps when I cheat, perhaps when I find that extra gear, uh, whether it's the time of the game or time of the season. And for me, he's just remained extremely efficient of understanding it's time to go and times when maybe there's nothing going on this shift, I'll get fresh troops out and I'm going to wait for my spot. So I think it's just an adaptation of, of picking his spots more wisely as the years have gone on. And I shouldn't even say more wisely. I think he's timed it perfectly through his whole career, but just so smart of knowing 
it's time to go for it or it's not happening this shift. Mm. You know what? Take care of business, get off, and I'll get it on the next shift. And you see a Connor McDavid, he'll do it every shift. He's younger. He's got the energy. Um, you know, he's, he's much younger in his career as far as stamina and recovery, not saying Crosby lacks those things at all, but I think there's wisdom that comes with, with being such a high point producer at all times. And this is the time of the year where he's clearly been very good all year, but when his team's needed at the times, Pittsburgh's really been struggling and it looks like they can't get out of it. He- no, we just lost Thomas. Uh, just, just kicked out. We'll get uh, we'll get Thomas back here talking. I, I I could hear players. You know, some of my favorite books are books that are written of the perspective of players that played against a superstar, right? Um, I and I know that when Sidney Crosby's career is done, there is going to be a book written, and it's going to be interviewing people that played against them, people that played with them. It's going to be the perspective about. It's going to be the perspective about what it was like to be on the ice with him. You can do this with so many different athletes. It is a plug-and-play kind of style, but I could listen to people talk about playing against Sidney Crosby forever. We do have Thomas take you back. Sorry, Thomas, you're making a point about Sidney Crosby when we, we kind of lost you there. Yeah, I don't know where you lost me on it, but I was just talking to his, you know, I, I think wisdom comes with playing in the league for so long and understanding when there's yes. times to go and when there's times to hand it off to the next line and, and wait for that and read the play. And I think that understanding of um, of gameplay and understanding when it's time to go, seize on it. And when it's not, sort of conserve that. And I think he's mastered that. You know, are, are there any players, maybe one will jump to mind, um, who set a work rate on your team that everybody had to try to achieve or had to like were embarrassed not to try to hit like I've always maintained this about Crosby if you look at the definition of the Hart Trophy really Sidney Crosby should be in the conversation every year because of the work rate that he sets for that Pittsburgh Penguins team like and he's Sidney Crosby he's going to the Hall of Fame he's on the Mount Rushmore of hockey all of it you walk into that Pittsburgh Penguins dressing room and you see how that guy works. That sets a rate for everybody underneath. There's no days off. We're not going to skate on the clean side of the rink. We're going to skate on the on when the when the sheets all all carved up by skates because it's harder to make passes and you're pushing snow on your blade. We're doing this because it's harder and it's going to make us better. Like this is the type of superstar that Crosby is. Is there anyone in your past who was like that? Yeah, I, you, you know what? I, I think obviously a standard set by him. The, the closest comparison, and probably a guy that learned this from Sidney Crosby, but but John Tavares, and he was a guy that just constantly working on his own game um, and the things that he could do. You know, there are oftentimes when you know he was the captain, and it's do you want a day off? And John's the wrong guy to ask because he doesn't want any days off. He would be a guy that. Whether it's shooting pucks, whether it's working on deflections or faceoffs, a guy that constantly needed to do it. And when you have your superstar not wanting to take that time off, wanting to get better, it transcends through your lineup. It rubs off on guys. It brings them into the battle. So I would say the habits that that Tavares had really sort of set the standard. Because if you're, you know, an average player on a team and you want your rest or you don't feel like doing it today and your captain does, um, you know, it, it creates a culture that, that everyone's going to work on something for a little bit. And, and I think mm-hmm. overall it just seeps into the identity of your organization. So he was the first guy that I played with where you just saw that relentless attitude of um, constantly improving and never, never being satisfied. And I think that probably was learned from guys like Crosby. Um, before I wrap up with you here, Thomas, and listen, I thank you for your time. I know you're a busy guy, and it's it's game day after all. It's the Islanders and the Penguins. What do you look for tonight? Like, I, I always cherish Penguins, uh, Islanders games for my own uh, reasons. This, we, we've seen some, some great skill. We've seen some nastiness. We've seen some good hockey hatred. What do you look for tonight? From, from an Islanders perspective, and every time I've played in this building, especially at this time of year when the games were important, there's not many teams that come out harder and stronger than Pittsburgh does. So when I look at a game tonight, can you weather the first 10 minutes? Can you get out of that 0-0 or 1-1? But I always found they start extremely well in their own building, especially a night like tonight where there's so much on the line. 
I think that's where it all starts. The Islanders can sort of slug it out and, and get better as the game goes on. Nah, we just lost him again. I, I'm guessing we're using the Opal app and maybe someone called them. Uh, nonetheless, Thomas Hickey, um, uh, analyst for the New York Islanders. Uh, tonight's the New York Islanders facing off against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Penguins, to me, have always been fascinating. Like I've been consistent about this with this era of Pittsburgh Penguins team. Um, we hear so much about the um, something like the bicycle theory, right? You know what the bicycle theory is? The bicycle theory is um, you got to keep pedaling or you fall off. And that's just the thing. And some people, myself included, have kind of treated my career like that. Just keep moving, just keep moving, just keep moving. Because when you stop, that's when problems happen. And I look at this Pittsburgh Penguins team and I say, this is bicycle theory. Because when the Penguins are on, man, they look good. Man, they look fantastic. To the point where I know everyone's sort of, it's the Boston Bruins and who wants to face them in the opening round? If it ends up being the Pittsburgh Penguins who face off against the Boston Bruins, if the Penguins are on their game, I think that's a lot closer series than a lot of people might give credit for. When this team plays well and everything clicks and they don't take their foot off the gas pedal because they've been guilty about that, of that, taking the foot off the gas pedal. If they do so even so slightly, the whole thing kind of falls apart. And we've seen that. We've seen that within games by the Pittsburgh Penguins. Like, look at um, look at the last game. Look at the last game the Penguins played, that game against the Columbus Blue Jackets. They go down four bagel, and you're like, okay, well, that's it. Pack it up. You know, fold the tent. This thing is over. And then they step on the gas. And then they turn into the Pittsburgh Penguins that we'd like to see more of whether you're a Pittsburgh Penguins fan hardcore casual or you just want to watch a good hockey game end up winning in overtime Crosby gets the goal it's a weird team man so much skill but they cannot surf on it some teams loaded with that much skill they can kind of surf for a few games and just get by based on the skill that ain't the Penguins Penguins Islanders tonight, also the Boston Bruins and the Edmonton Oilers. I think I've mentioned that once or twice on today's show. 7.30 on Sportsnet. That one looks like the game of the night. Uh, Thanks to Thomas Hickey for stopping by. Andrew Raycroft. Uh, It was nice talking about Rick Hampton as well for the player of the day. Anthony Stewart and Elliot Friedman. General Nick Lance Kennedy and Matt Marchese, thank you so much. Merrick Show back on the air tomorrow at noon Eastern. Enjoy the games tonight. There's a lot of them.